the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome into the next edition of the USL show. I know we had uh, some interviews go flying out. I know there's some video content too, uh, but we are back with our uh, semi-weekly podcast where we break down news and games of the USL. Uh, I'm Alan Underwood, and I am acting as host today, uh, and I want to uh, bring on uh, Ryan. It's been a little bit. How is it going? It's going pretty well after a very shall I say, inactive week of USL news that we'll get to talking about uh, this episode. Right, there's Sorry, no awesome. news to talk about. This will be a quick one. There's nothing to really report this on. This will be an easy one. And then back again, although uh, we had some technical issues on our end, uh, getting him recorded, uh, we want to welcome him back. Uh, Matt Pollard from Last Word on Soccer and Holding the High Line. Uh, Matt, welcome in from, uh, you still in Colorado, correct? Denver, beautiful Denver, Colorado? Yes, still in Denver, Colorado. So we're getting some thunderstorms. Um, pretty much all the snow has melted in the mountains, and I'm very excited. I'm doing my first 14er of the year. I will be climbing Quandry Peak, um, which is just south of Breckenridge and kind of the middle-ish part of the state. And then hopefully sometime next month or the month after early September, I'll be doing Long's Peak. So hiking one day, soccer another day. That is, uh, that is my life, and that is a good soccer weekend here in the Centennial State. Very nice. And uh, excuse my ignorance, but the 14ers are the there's 14. There's a bunch of peaks that are 14,000 feet. Is that what the 14ers are? Yes. So a bunch of peaks that are 14,000 feet above sea level. The um, I know this is a USL podcast, but so in Major League Soccer, the Colorado Rapids secondary kit for this year is their class five kit. And it's got like some topography maps of a couple of them. Um, So actually, if you are at um, the new Widener Field and then you are looking out towards the east, the big, huge mountain that you'll see or excuse me, towards the west, the big, huge mountain that you'll see is Pikes Peak, which is one of the 14ers. Um, And it's one of the few that you can access um, via motorized transportation. Um, you don't actually have to hike up, so you can take the train. I think you can still drive, and then you can also drive to the top of Mount Evans. So, uh, yes. That would be my form of transportation to the top of a peak. I don't do well when I go to Denver. I always get altitude sickness for the first day. Uh, so in a car would probably be the best for me, uh, but it sounds like uh, some beautiful hikes. Uh, I love that area of the country. So uh, if you're an outdoor enthusiast, uh, go hit up some of those 14ers with Matt. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, ben, uh, uh, and not unlike you, Alan, uh, there's a lot of people, um, I guess, not San Antonio, um, suffer from altitude sickness when they drop in from sea level um, in the springs. And All right. Matt, you did welcome, uh, even though there's no thunderstorms, you did welcome a hailstorm in northern Colorado hailstorm for USL League One recently. 
Yes, we did. Uh, so officially, uh, so we have Northern Colorado FC, I guess, is pulling a RGV Toros in that, in that now they are Northern Colorado Hailstorm FC. Hailstorm, one word. Um, a lot of people had some fun with the crest. I'll admit it does look a little basic. It's kind of a white version of the New Mexico United crest as well. And some people were making jokes about, um, you know, uh, you know, are those soccer balls? Are those actual hailstorms? Um, are they a crest that could potentially get someone pregnant? It, but, um, you know, I think the uh, for all that can be said, I think about the ownership group and the fact that they are coming in outside of Colorado. They're not they're not Colorado natives. I think they've done a very, very good job of trying to understand the culture and the environment and the community in the northern part of the front range. And I think of northern Colorado and things that are uh, northern part of the front range. And I think about things that are unique to them, I guess, other than they've got more pasture space to have buffaloes. And if they were to go with buffs, that would have been, you know, you'd have some copyright issues um with the with the university of colorado um you know i think of the weather aspect so hailstorm definitely on theme i'll admit the crest is a little bit basic but um i'm very excited now um that entirely within the front range we have the entire soccer pyramid um that'll be represented here in colorado um as of next year when they kick off yeah and that's kind of the fort collins area if i'm not mistaken uh, they're um, technically in Windsor. So Windsor is like the suburb space. Yeah, very, very minor <laughs> detail. But so Windsor is like smack dab in the middle of. So you've got Fort Collins and then Greeley is out a little bit to the east. And then you've got Longmont, which is further south. Longmont's kind of with how much sprawl has been going up and down I-25. Like Longmont's basically there are people who live in Longmont who in the before times commuted into jobs in Fort Collins and then people who also did it into Denver. So they are technically in in Windsor, but they've made a big deal about representing the northern part of state as a whole. Hence, they're not Windsor Hailstorm FC. Yeah, the only thing I know about northern Colorado is lots of cows. Um, yes, that's about cows, it. cows, and hailstorms. There you go. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we want to thank Jeff Reuter for dropping a absolute bomb of an article uh, that kind of blew up midweek. Uh, as we prepared for the show, uh, we're like, well, this is going to take up a bulk of uh, what we were going to talk about. I think the most important one here is the, um, the PES video game. I think that's the one that people care about the most. Uh, <laughs> I'm bearing the lead a little bit, um, but I know that's a big deal um, to get recognition in video games. I know when they put out that Ford Madison uh, challenge and they built in some of those lower league USL clubs, um, it kind of blew up. So um there's a lot in that article. Um, I'm not sure which one we want to start with, whether it's ProRel, PES video games, uh, or the winter schedule, I think are kind of the big three. Um, Ryan, which one stuck out to you the most out of those ones? I'll start with the video games because I feel like that'll take the least of our discussion just to start with something fun. I, I feel like that's going to be an incredibly big step for the league to just kind of further legitimize itself being part of a video game you see how much of an impact fifa has and with uh, pez going into a now free-to-play mode to be announced later in uh the fall oh that would be huge that every person who basically has a gaming console could download this game and play with the uso and uso league one possibly on their console and that that's just an incredibly big step for the league towards legitimizing itself because there are second tier leagues over in Europe that aren't even included in any of the video games. Scotland's second tier isn't there. 
um, it's just, it's a really big step and I'm very much excited to have that be, be a playable thing in the future. Yeah, I think it's a big step as well. Full disclosure, I'm more of a FIFA guy, but you know, the video games come out every single year. And unless there's a big update to the roster of a team that I'm taking over for whatever career mode that exists, I don't see there, there's never really been enough of a technology change from one year to another for me to get a new version of PES or a new version of FIFA. I did get a new version last year because the PS5 was coming out and everything. And I did like some of the changes that they made to the gameplay and everything. But I know that's been a complaint for a lot of people here in the states who aren't just the oh i'm gonna go career mode with messi and barcelona or with my premier league team or what have you and having a real playable version of the lower divisions that you have there and then maybe also a structure to where there's a cup competition so maybe not a proper open cup because i assume pes isn't adding like you know harpos and um and uh the villages sc for example but i think having that's going to be more interesting and i think it's going to make people more interested you know i remember when i was you know phil will remember this if he's hearing it when we were when i was living in st louis along with him and then we were talking about it and like i would bring a couple of my buddies to go and they're like oh is st louis fc and like PS or fifa and i had to be like no it's like what's that other crazy video game that you play matt that's super obsessive oh you mean football manager oh are they in football manager no so you know it's the, this is going to be something that's going to be more fun and as long as they get the graphics good on some of the new kits and everything that have been fantastic um i'm here for it and it's going to get more people interested in the video game and interested in the league one way or the other yeah i think also the entry level to playing with the uh usl championship is a little bit uh more manageable with the fifa style video games i tried my hand at football manager and the learning curve is pretty steep uh, on that one just because it's so involved and there's so much information whether uh, versus hey i already know kind of how to play this video game i can play with a buddy of mine and we can play a friendly game of you know our usl championship clubs against each other without there being this huge like what scouting system am I going to set up and what countries am I going to scout for football manager? Uh, so I, I think it's just an, a, an access point as well. It's just a further access point um, in, a, in a, a way that is more accessible to kind of maybe that casual fan that isn't going to pick up FM. Yeah, because I mean, how many like how how many people are just like generic? Like you get like some guy in the UK, for example, who's a huge you know P- FIFA PES video game fan or whatever that is hipster enough to know what's going on with like FC St. Pauli is aware that Forward Madison has crazy kits and is now going to try playing with Forward Madison because he wants to have a team that or you know doing um you know or doing like the the weird like pro league that they have stuff foot mode I think it is in FIFA I don't remember what it's the is in PES and then having their team wear the Ford Madison kits. You know, again, it's it's cross-marketing where there's the video game populace that would now be easier to introduce into the league and then league fans who would be more introduced to the video game and then their understanding of the league, the game, the players would improve. It's it's a win-win for everybody, except FIFA players. <laughs> I mean, I'm still a team football managers, the best soccer video game out there, but uh, I remember when FIFA used to do uh, created teams, and I believe it was FIFA 15. That's a few years ago. So, uh, I think it was still like PS3 edition for that. And I would go to a tailgate in Charleston, and I saw that they were doing like the actual Charleston versus uh, Wilmington on FIFA 15 with created teams. And it's just exciting to see that there will be 
somewhat at least officially licensed teams within a video game rather than someone's just basically created side being placed into these games. But like everyone has said, it's a huge step forward for the league and I'm excited to see where it would take us. And I'm also looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to pony pulling out stats that either validates or goes against certain player ratings. So that's always a, you know, like top 10 USL underrated acceleration stats. I am so here for that content. Uh, I'm pretty, I don't want to say controversial. I think the one that generated the most response to this article was the switch to the winter schedule. Um, I saw some interesting takes. I mean, obviously there's the pro rel and the MLS too, but I think the one that created the most amount of like uh, interesting arguments was the change to the win, uh, a possible change to a winter schedule. Obviously they have to vote on all this. Uh, and there's a, a pretty good back and forth about pros and cons for switching over to the more European style Um, I think they mentioned the Bundesliga style where you take a pretty significant winter break, maybe in a a small second preseason before the second half of the season starts. Uh, Any of those arguments stand out pros or cons, Matt? What do you think? Uh, well, I think the uh, the biggest concern that I'd have or the curiosity that I have, you know, every single, you know, USL league one is, you know, for their financial stability at some point has to start regularly selling to the championship. The championship has to, and uh, you know, has to start set putting more players in MLS and look, there's other parties involved in everything. And um, but, you know, I just, I, I think having a schedule that's different from your domestic first team, or first division league, I think is going to be problematic in terms of player acquisition and player movement. And maybe that doesn't affect MLS as much because maybe that just further entrenches them in their MLS reserve league, which I assume will have a similar format and calendar schedule to MLS. But that would just kind of be my, you know, you have a guy coming out of the middle of their season as they're potentially going into preseason. I guess if there is that kind of winter break, that would be a nice break for, you know, a transfer to happen and then a player to get involved but I just I I don't know how that's going to work from a a calendar standpoint and then moving players um, I think moving it to where especially as the USL championship is going to get more having not some of the like Caribbean and then the lower tier international players and then having it on the FIFA calendar and then I assume this would also include actually taking a break from league play for those FIFA calendar dates will make the league more appealing and will be better for the players involved in and around the Caribbeans, the Central American teams and everything. So I think there's definitely some pros. I just, I don't know how, I don't know how this happens without the entire Federation saying this is what they're doing. And there's going to be, you know, it's going to be a tough thing to adjust. That being said, like, I think it could happen. And then three years later, everything would be okay. I don't know. I've gone back and forth on the winter schedule for USL. I'm in, I'm certainly not married to the idea because you have leagues in Europe who play on a the same schedule that the US does that they run basically you know, the same kind of March to November. That's what Ireland does. Scandinavia does that. Uh, it, it just and especially here in the states. You know, and we benefit from the summer of having these very nice days. San Diego always looks sunny when they ever they have a game. Orange County you know, features that as well. But then when you get to these winter months, imagine having to go to Ford Madison in the snow you know, for eight games a year or, or having to play in all these cold weather games or, or 
when you get into having to go head to head with the NFL or college football within the fall, that would make it incredibly difficult to try and sell against. Like, even if you looked at it from a confederation level, Columbus is selling out their stadium now. But if you have to try and go head to head against Ohio State in the fall, that makes it really difficult. And I'm just I'm not convinced that the winter schedule is the true path forward for the league, unless everyone says we're going to do this and we'll try our luck at it. Yeah, I think it'll depend on how many other leagues they can talk into switching over to this winter season and maybe puts pressure on MLS to swap over. Um, I do think that there is some uh, what Matt was talking about with player transfers, especially if you're going to uh, move in the direction we're going to talk about next, where you're going to have to sell players who don't want to play in a lower league or a team moving up wanting to buy players in a the next league up. Uh, it gives you more options when you're uh, on the kind of world calendar. Uh, but I, you know, I, I think the, from the marketing standpoint, I think that's where I have questions of right now, you know, it's USL, it's MLS and it's baseball. And um, you're not up against a lot of your big sports. Basketball's already d- just finished. Uh, hockey just finished. Uh, so it's pretty much like your space to uh, get fans to show up. Um, Ryan, I appreciate the shout out of San Diego always being nice and sunny. Um, I can tell you that uh, in in June, it's gray. That's what they call it uh, June gloom. Uh, and in December, it could be nice and warm. So we'll take soccer all year round down here. Uh, and we try to. Um, but I, I do think that there's some. I understand like front office and moving to the more worldly things people are more familiar with, with the European schedule might be good in practice or on paper. Uh, I think there are a lot of outside forces that might make it difficult to function as a, a success, successfully mostly off field stuff. And I could really see where this is something where there's a difference of opinion, like across the league, just based on each market. Cause just like here in the Colorado Springs, for example, you know, in, in Colorado Springs, like there's no big college football team that you're necessarily competing with. Obviously if we move to the winter schedule, you don't have to worry about the sky scouts, but I, you know, I, I, I don't want to see what happens if Ford Madison has to compete with Wisconsin football. So I could see where it's hyper localized, even in their area, you know, how much is, you know, how much is Hartford really going to, be affected by UConn football I could definitely see I guess the second half the spring season them being affected by UConn basketball but I'm pretty sure the people over at Birmingham don't want to have to compete with SEC football for five months out of the year so I could see where it actually works well for some markets and is terrible for some others which just makes me wonder from a a voting standpoint like how this even gets passed through just because like there could be so so much difference of opinion and um, it would negatively affect some club significantly and maybe be partially beneficial to some significantly and one of the things that was interested and this goes for anything that the league is voting on and i'm not sure they'll ever post the results but i'd be very curious in seeing how some teams choose to vote like there are some teams who are or like actively wanting to have pro rail or wanting to move to the winter schedule or those, or are there some teams who would say, we don't want to have pro rail. We don't want the winter schedule. I'm sure those results would, I, I honestly think they'll never be posted, but I'd be curious, like if when they tell us the outcome of these votes, like, was it a close result? Was it nearly unanimous? Were there some teams that had hesitancies, but eventually decided to vote along with everyone else? 
especially if they vote on these one by one, I can for sure see some teams voting in favor of one and not in favor of the other um, because of just those those in, those regional interests. And any sport in the United States outside of maybe football, everything's hyper-regionalized right now. And especially lower division soccer, you have to be aware of what's going on. Like for San Diego, the only other major like major league sport is baseball. And so switching to a winter schedule means you're avoiding the Padres. Um, and they might be enticed by that. Uh, but I, I do think that I would I'd be very curious to see if they post the results, maybe if it's close or if it's overwhelming and positive, they do like, Hey, 90% of our teams voted in favor of pro rel. And that's why we're doing it. I, I think it's, they're going to announce it purely based on it, what makes them look the best. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. And someone's going to abstain because they're visiting some local landmark or something. Um, <laughs> and I, I think the last big thing, and which is why I think some people are mo- wanting to move to the winter schedule is definitely, I think we have to talk about it because uh, a certain section of s- soccer will be mad that we don't. Uh, but again, uh, we're bringing pro rel up to a vote. Uh, I mean, can't say we, we never I'm, tried it. <laughs> Is this? I've seen this. This is lip service. This is lip service. But I think actually saying we're going to call a vote on this um, means that there's actually some serious movement. Um, what's the likelihood uh, of of this getting done? Do you think, Ryan? I don't know. I if they vote on it, it won't be the immediate next season. It'll occur. It'll take some planning. It'll take something to to just basically. You know, look out into the future. I think they set a date as at least before we host the world cup in 2026, that we want to have some sort of move or not move towards that plan. But I'll say 60, 40, it does not occur. I'll I'll go with 75, 25, that it doesn't occur. I think the key thing to, to your point, Ryan, of the, you know, is the, you know, is the motion we want to adopt pro well by 2026 or 2030, you know, is there a, is there a certain point at which they're saying we're establishing it? Cause I think if it's, well, generally we do pro rel, I think people are going to want details. And then if it's pro rel next year, like I just, if we're just going one club, one vote, I don't see how you're an ownership group from the championship with all the turmoil still post COVID and the way that USL off seasons can work that like you immediately want to put the pressure on your general manager, your head coach and everything of, Oh crap. If we have a bad season next year, you know, we're down and understandably the drop from, you know, the USL championship to USL league one, you know, isn't the end of the world compared to some other leagues around the world, but certainly, you know, you invested a certain amount of money in your infrastructure in your expansion fee. And then you're going into a smaller space and just the fact that the championship is the largest of the voting body that we have. Again, I'm assuming this would be one club, one vote. I just think they'd have enough of the majority to be like, we like being in the championship. We don't want to vote for something to where we potentially would no longer be in the championship. So I think if it's a, by 2026, by 2030, I think then you could get some, yeah, this will be good for soccer. And by this point, we'll be more stable. And that makes sense for the league as a whole and the sport in the country. And that's more important than our own individual interests as a club. But, you know, if it's next year or anything, I think there's a bunch of teams right now that aren't making the playoffs that are immediately going to say no. And even more so, I am worried about 
uh, like even if we if USO votes say like say they vote tomorrow and say okay let's have pro rail the federation still has their PLS standards that could say okay hey, but this team can't come up to the second tier for X Y and Z because of our own standards that we could very well vote on this and then the federation could say you guys can't do this regardless of whatever you voted on because of our arbitrary rules here. It's, be, it's more so that we need to change the arbitrary rules of the Federation to get this to actually start working. Yeah, the other, the other uh, part of the equation is you have all of these teams kind of lined up for expansion into the championship in League One, and you vote in December to do pro-rel. Do some of those teams looking to buy into the championship go, wait, so if we buy in right now, you're saying, you know, two years from now, three years from now, we're not going to be in the championship anymore like i think that's a hard sell to bring in some new teams who are buying into the championship right now or the next couple years to say you have two years in the championship and then you know sorry about you you're going to be moving down because all of these established teams uh, there's no more punching bags because everyone's actually pumping money into it and we've gotten rid of some of the low end uh they've either self-regulated or self um relegated or they are a former MLS two side uh, and now everyone is really competitive and good. Are you wanting to spend, you know, significantly more money to buy into a championship knowing that this is coming down uh, the pipe? I, I, I think there's, I, I would assume that there's some new ownership who believe in pro rel as a thing that should exist, but there are, also people who are able to put up millions of dollars to own a team. And those folks are not just willy nilly with their money, right? This isn't like, Hey, I'm buying another subscription service for my, for to stream like Paramount plus. And if I'm out six bucks, I'm out six bucks. Uh, so I, I do think this is going to be a hard, a hard sell. I think what could convince owners is fan support and supporters groups and people putting pressure on the ownership of the, the clubs that this is what they want. Uh, but ultimately uh, I, I am also not very uh, high on this passing. Uh, if it passes great, um, I won't be like, Oh, this shouldn't happen. But if you look at like Liga Mekis where they did have some of those standards to move up and you can buy your way out of being relegated and, and it was really a mess and they got rid of it for a while. Um, now I don't know if they're going to go back to it or not, but they're in a situation where it wasn't working. Re- promotion relegation wasn't working because um, teams that were getting promoted couldn't get promoted, and teams that because of that, teams were able to buy their way out of relegation. Um, so, do we want that situation too? Like, it's not all you know, sunshine and roses. Yeah, and I guess not to not to get on my uh, Jeff Reuter Memorial soapbox here, but also like the USL has had like I, I feel like the, the USL can start implementing things that are going to be in the long term good, but in the short term chaos inducing when we don't have teams folding at every single tier every single season. And I feel like this, you know, again, even if we, I, I want to believe that we would get in a position in this country as a soccer nation to the point where we would have stable second, third, potentially fourth tier by 2026. It would take some while for us to get out of that turbulence and then immediately go into it with instituting pro rel. So I think, I think there's a lot of other initiatives. I think the league could be queuing on a stabilization front that I think would be more productive right now 
and more productive five years from now than going pro rel or going to the standard FIFA calendar. For sure. Um, some other uh, to to move us along. Some other news um, is all but four MLS two teams are uh, currently uh, exiting or will exit. And those four have signed on a one year extension to 2022 will be their final USL season. I mean, those things can obviously change. Um, MLS two clubs kind of making their way to that MLS uh, reserve kind of league, if you will. Um Ryan, or I'm going to go to Matt. Matt, any surprises from uh, either MLS two teams leaving or the ones that chose to stay? Um, no real surprises for me. I think clearly, you know, the ones that are staying are the ones that um, they see value in them having a USL affiliate, whether or not those teams actually bring value to the USL championship, I think is certainly um, a valid question. I mean, I'll just, you know, I know where I'm pouring out a beer for, I guess would be the end of the 2022 season. So I'm pouring out a beer for like 15 months from now, but I mean, RIP Red Bulls too. You were fun. You had a lot of really fun teenagers. You played fun soccer and tried to be competitive and everything. Um, Los Dos be gone, done with you and everything. Like, I know you've been an interesting team this year, but I mean, just like you play a bunch of teenagers and you don't play competitive and you brag about your academy with the LA Galaxy who produced no one other than Giassi's artists. So good riddance to you. Um, I guess good riddance to SKC too while we're at it on that front. So um, I think we're at the point to where, I think we're at the point to where USL doesn't need these two teams and I think it was going to be about could they actually be could they you know could could an MLS team see a purpose in them still being in the USL and could the USL actually still see value in them being in there and I think really the only team that can say that for its entire existence within the championship has been New York Red Bulls and obviously for their long-term projections as a club um, it's going to be the MLS Reserve League so um I think this is I think this is good because I think it's showing that the USL is ready to, along with other aspects of the relationship between the leagues that have changed, is they're taking the training wheels off and they're no longer, um, you know, they, they don't need to have their hand held by MLS anymore. So um, I'm excited for that, albeit at the expense of, you know, seeing the next Ben Mines, you know, absolutely posterize some uh, Charleston battery outside back. Ryan, any thoughts on MLS two exit and or those four who decided to stay? I think it's interesting uh, that like Loudon or Atlanta United two would decide to stay. It does not surprise me about Los Dos or New York Red Bulls too. I mean, New York Red Bulls too has a star over their crest, which is more than what many other USL clubs can say in the league right now. So there is at least a little respect that I give to that club, but. Like Matt said, it's USL is basically severing the ties with the MLS partnership. It's ready to become a big boy league, and let's have all the independent clubs within this league at the moment. If the MLS sides want to go into their own D3 league, that's their prerogative, and that's their decision. And I think it just goes back to what I was saying with the video games. It just legitimizes the league a lot more, having everyone be an independent club. Uh, there's a reason why the English uh, pyramid doesn't let any of the doesn't let any of the Premier League two sides in its own pyramid because it still legitimizes the league that they have below the pyramid. Yeah, I gotta echo the Los Dos. Um, as much as they've been competitive, 
you cannot go see a low dose game this year. Uh, they are not allowing fans in the stadium, uh, which is a bummer. I know there are several local team, uh, local clubs that have away games uh, playing low dose that they wanted to, as traveling fans to go and support their club away, and they've been told no, we're not allowing any fans in because they don't care if anyone watches those games in person or not. Um, and I think that 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 hurts. And it kind of takes away that culture that is special to soccer of having those supporters in the stands. Um, the other one that kind of bums me out a little bit is kind of that rapid fall from kind of awkward grace in Las Vegas. They were very kitschy. They were, very, I mean, people will poop on them all day long, uh, but they brought people to the stadium. They introduced soccer to Las Vegas in a way that Las Vegas I mean, it was Las Vegas. Let's be real. Like they got, I mean, it was still very kind of minor league ish, but they brought people out of the stadium and what, what's happened this year and what will happen next year is just a, a loss of an opportunity for soccer to grow in that Las Vegas area. Um, and that's the one I'm kind of the most bummed about is to see that team go from an interesting conversation piece that, you know, that weird uncle, if you will, to being, you know, a team that trains in LA that travels to Vegas to play in Vegas and seeing that kind of makes me a little bit sad. Um, but obviously, you know, it, they're probably going to transition to the MLS two as well. And, um, hopefully that creates some good opportunities from some young LAFC people, but, uh, that one kind of bums me out just a little bit. Um, as far as that club going from, a, a conversation piece to no one's going to talk about them for a while. Yeah. Alan, I'll, I'll quote tweet that and I'll add like massive by Felicia to the MLS teams who have botched either the technical operation of their USL team, their USL affiliate, or just like a refusal to engage in like the soccer culture, you know, like Los Dos basically saying, you know, like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, Sacramento Republic fans, like you can't travel to, you know, to us anymore. And so if for every single MLS two team that ultimately leaves between, you know, now and obviously the end of the 20, 2022 season if that makes for an opportunity for a new championship expansion club a new usl league one club i guess in the case of new england and north texas sc to come in and just have 2,000 fans in a minor league ballpark and then some actual supporters with some flares and flags that is way better than any environment you were getting at the track and field stadium at StubHub. For sure. And speaking about uh, kind of messing up some of the soccer culture, uh, we just got announced um, no Open Cup. Um, continue no Open Cup, although a reinvigorated Open Cup and a slightly different Open Cup uh, later. Um, do we feel that maybe there could have been an Open Cup this year? Kind of figured it out, uh, Ryan? Yes. Canada is doing their open championships. There's absolutely no reason why the United States couldn't have at least tried something. I still hold out hope that, that they they said they're going to announce in due course what's going to happen to this fourth CONCACAF Champions League spot because it just it can't go to Atlanta for another season. And but my fear is if the Federation takes it away from the Open Cup and just say gives it to the whoever the fourth best team is in MLS that the Open Cup doesn't get the berth back ever again. And that just removes any chance that a lower league team would have of ever possibly qualifying for CONCACAF Champions League. 
So my hope would be that they find a way to do some type of, you could say a super cup tournament of like MLS against USL, against week one, against NISA, just to determine who takes the last spot. Just to have like, you don't have to even brand it as the open cup just to have someone to determine to take this last spot. But it's very disappointing that they're not, that U.S. soccer as a whole doesn't treat the Open Cup with the prestige and just mystique that it should have because it's one of the oldest cups on planet Earth. It, it It's outlived so many other notable cups that we know across from Europe that we should be treating it better than U.S. soccer does. Matt, retweet. Um, well, so I'd say, you know, Canada tried to do that because with the Canadian MLS teams being stateside and then the island games for the Canadian Premier League, what they were going to have is they were going to have the um, best regular season, uh, just the head to head between the Canadian MLS teams, whoever won that truncated regular season and then the winner of the island games were going to play each other in a one game knockout so i would be all for like a almost like um uh like club world cup but i guess like america club cup i I don't know like we're, we're gonna have to work in the marketing and maybe we don't need a trophy for it but you know like i would agree like you know like nisa plays you know like league one plays mls team one game these are all neutral sites so i'm sure it's gonna end up in orlando and then championship plays nisa 90 minutes then you go straight to penalties no 120 um five subs and then you know like that team gets the uh gets the champions league spot but you know i agree like i think an open cup version could have really happened it would have been a little weird from a scheduling standpoint but i mean you know they proposed the tournament option they had i understand that you couldn't have had um you know the proper setup in terms of like the amateur clubs and everything but you know take the division winners from you know the championship have them play each other you know have the first um uh, you know, have the first uh, league game that they have count as like one of those for qualifying and for eliminating the teams. You could have done the same thing with the MLS teams in their regulars. They could have done some format. It would have been truncated and weird. It would have been better than a second year of no Open Cup. And I think what uh, Ryan and I are proposing is this hybrid Frankenstein Super Cup uh, you know, champion cup of champions, I think would be better than having no open cup and then having Atlanta potentially under their fourth new manager since winning the open cup in, was it 2018 now or 2019? I think 2019, 2019, getting it for a third straight year, because just, you know, I think, um, I, I think Tampa Bay mutiny have shown in the last 12 months that they're more deserving of losing the T grace than I think Atlanta United is right now. I mean, it's Frank DeBoer's only trophy, man. You can't discount the man who fails upwards into continuous jobs. Yeah. Um, is there any um, is is there any conspiracy theories out there that Rochester Rhinos are, have announced that they are coming back, and the Open Cup is waiting for another year? Is there anything? Is there anything there? Is that a thing? No. Okay. Um, I, I I feel like that would be a more valid. I feel like that would be a more valid excuse from U.S. soccer directly, other than man, this is hard and complicated, or we don't care about our history. I would be I, I would be less upset if they said we are waiting. We are wa- waiting for um, the Open Cup war daddies that are the Rochester Raging Rhinos to come back and reclaim their rightful trophy. Other than man, this is hard, or we don't care. We've had too much stuff to deal with, or. 
Um, but if there are two senses that describe U.S. soccer more, it's like, man, this is very difficult, or we don't care about our history. Oof. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. Also, patriarchy should stand. Like that would be the third one. I think. Like that should be. Like that should be like written on top of like soccer house as like their commandments. Patriarchy stuff is hard. We don't care. Oh, I mean, that's it's not wrong. It's not wrong. Um, some other uh, no, uh, news from around the the league is uh, Hartford's coach and assistant coach uh, are both tested positive for COVID. Uh, we're back into this uh, situation where uh, matches are being postponed. Um, people could be testing positive who were even received the vaccination. Uh, we're going back into the realm of holy cow, we're going to be playing way too many games in not enough time. And are we concerned about player safety at all? Um, are we concerned about player safety at all? Um, or is this kind of a, Everyone from himself from themselves. Yeah, Oakland has postponed matches. They've only played eight games. Yeah, and they still have a worse defensive record than Phoenix. Um, just throwing that out there. Um, what are, what are we doing? I don't want to. What are we doing here? Right? Um, is this a cause for concern, or is this just going to be kind of how we're going to navigate the, the the season with you know some positive here, some positive there? Matt, you want to go ahead? Uh, well, so I guess the I guess maybe the rhetorical question there uh, was: I care about player safety. Um, I'm not convinced that the people making the rules or going about dealing with how we handle a COVID protocol necessarily care or care enough. But I think it shows just with what we've seen with the Delta variants, with the you know almost the you look at the electoral college map and then you see a map of you know percentage of adults that have gotten the vaccine, and it's pretty correlated in terms of that situation. I think just uh, I think. This is the so I think um, Oakland got the ball rolling and now I think the snowball is gaining steam with what's happened with Hartford and I think a few more other clubs in different divisions that test positive and have to have games rescheduled. I think we're headed towards potentially if enough of that happens, I think we're headed towards uh, just going uh, points per game in terms of the standings. I would say especially in the West if Oakland can't make up their schedule and everything. So it's worrying for me. You know, I um, you know, I, I guess the the only thing that I can say to to the extent that there are people at the USL or USL clubs listening to this is follow the protocol, wear a mask, get vaccinated. And I'd say the same thing to the supporters who, you know, want to get back to normalcy. But, um, you know, it's concerning and it's still out there. Um, and if we don't take it seriously, I think this will happen again and it's going to further complicate things, I think, to the point where it's not reversible. And I just hope we can have a proper regular season and an actual USL champion this year. Now, the NFL put out some... Uh, standards that raise some eyebrows about if an unvaccinated, if your team can't play because of unvaccinated players getting COVID, then they just forfeit the match. And there was some, some conversation about, well, does that mean if they're vaccinated, then they can postpone the match? They said, we're not adding extra weeks. Uh, is there uh, Ryan, do you think that there's any, um, any animus at the, the league office to start instituting some of these uh, pretty, I don't want to say severe because that's not the right word, but like, hey, if you aren't vaccinated and you can't feel the team, then it'll be a 3-0 forfeit. Do you think the league's up for that or do you think that's just too much? 
I think they should be up for that. It's you have to encourage people to get vaccinated. I mean, the NFL had a game last year where they nearly made the Broncos play without a quarterback at that point. And we are well past that time that you, you just need to get vaccinated. You there's not an excuse for it anymore. You the team needs to get vaccinated. The players need to get vaccinated. Everyone involved has to. And we just have to do everything we can to fight this pandemic because it's still going it's still ongoing and we can't ignore it matt any thoughts on that one i mean i guess you know i uh, is you know is somebody vaccinated or otherwise getting the virus and then spreading it to teammates to the point where they can't play a game and then not making every effort to reschedule that to the extent that it's possible is dealing with that situation by saying the team that had the outbreak forfeits the game. Is that too harsh of a punishment? Yes. If all this does is a deterrent from having that happen to the point where, you know, I mean, at least I keep listening to NPR and NPR keeps saying that under very, very rare legal standings could employees or I guess the union take the league to task and then win in court in terms of if public safety is paramount in your workplace, then the employer can require you to get vaccinated in that situation. I think the league would have the the legal gumption to make that happen. And so if that is, you know, if that's a kind of a, uh, a backhanded or a backdoor way of the league saying, we want to get everybody to get vaccinated. We're going to institute that to make the teams get everybody vaccinated so that the players are forced to get vaccinated so this doesn't happen, but nobody's actually forfeiting any games because it'll be taken care of and we have legal standing. I mean, I guess I'm here for it. I guess I'm, I'm still disappointed that like we have players who aren't choosing to get vaccinated, but you know, um, go ahead and ask uh, Columbus crew and then Montreal impact Twitter about Eric Hurtado. If you really want to get some hot takes and vitriol politically on that. There is definitely an appetite on soccer Twitter for hot takes. I'm sure someone will take you up on that. Uh, Ryan, any last thoughts on that one? No, just get vaccinated and let's do everything we can to fight the pandemic. All right. So uh, let's talk about some actual uh, on the pitch footy. Um, Any games from week 13 uh, that stuck out to you as maybe important and or interesting. Um, Ryan, anything that uh, from last week, any games that you checked out and or storylines that you think um, are important? San Antonio came back alive. Miami FC or sorry, the Miami FC beat Tampa Bay and and surprise, surprise, Louisville was back atop the Central Division after we had thought the sky was falling in Louisville. Matt, any uh, any games last week, storylines that are uh, interesting to you? Uh, well, the, the division with the switchbacks continues to be, you know, an absolute crapshoot and everything. Uh, I guess if we're if we're extending this into the, the middle of this week, then uh, we can include, you know, the six pointer that San Antonio had six goals scored um, between their three nil win over New Mexico United and then uh, against Colorado Springs as well. Um, a little bit of S housery from San Antonio, but I think it was within the you know, it was within the the realms of the game and within uh, the, the laws of officiating in terms of against the switchbacks here and then Nathan Focaja. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly um, with four goals in those two games. So uh, 
you know, San Antonio got off to a really slow start. I think it was just a matter of time before they ended up figuring it out. And, you know, the pressings there and the goals have started to come. So I, I still have no idea. You can make a solid argument for any team in the mount in the mountain division finishing second or any of these teams missing the playoffs as far as I'm concerned. Um it's chaos and it's fun. It's just not always fun when the switchbacks have a good game and Haji Barry scores and they manage to lose because you know two goals are scored on pens. Yeah, as someone who doesn't have to follow a team in the mountain division, that is very fun. San Antonio looked very good last night. Um some of those some of those balls through were like how wow. Like you just beat four <laughs> four New Mexico United players with one ball through. And um, the other one is uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies uh, have kind of hit a skid, uh, not necessarily worried about that team in any way whatsoever making the playoffs, uh, but three losses on the bounce is something that is um, stands out to me as a kind of a, uh, a big deal. Um, same thing with Orange County. They were really hot and they've lost two in a row. So this is kind of that mid-season. Uh, lots of games are stacking up for some teams and uh, we're seeing uh, which teams can handle that and which teams are going to hit some bumps and bruises along the way. Uh, so yeah, week 13 was pretty interesting. And I think this coming week is going to uh, have a, a couple of really nice matchups. Anything, uh, Matt, that sticks out to you uh, this coming weekend that you think some people uh, should check out? Uh, well, I mean, I'm very excited for one of the rare out-of-division uh, games that uh, Colorado Springs has where they'll be hosting Louisville City. So I think another really good barometer in terms of where that team is. Um, you know, they've gotten a couple kind of poor results. They've kind of been, you know, they started off a little slow and then they had, and they got really hot in June it was, and now that they've cooled off. So another really good challenge. And, you know, Brendan Burke has been really consistent, um, you know, with his players and then also with the media saying that these are learning opportunities and that they've made adjustments and everything. So I guess if nothing else, it's an opportunity for them to learn a lesson, maybe pick up an encouraging point um, against Louisville. But, you know, anytime that you have, you know, what I would argue is the super club of the USL championship coming to your brand new stadium. I think that's, you know, a fantastic opportunity um, and event for um, for the city and the players involved. Yeah, I was bummed that San Diego got Louisville on the road. Uh, I was hoping that they I saw that matchup and I was like, dang, I wish they were here. Uh, Ryan, any uh, games that stand out to you that people should check out this weekend? And I did want to say briefly with the uh, Louisville match, I believe that's going to be the furthest west Louisville City has ever traveled in USL history. Interesting. They never went to uh, Reno? No, I don't believe they've ever uh, traveled to Reno. When Reno had joined the league, I believe the conferences split and they Mm. didn't do as much cross-conference unless your team was St. Louis, Tulsa, or Oklahoma City. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess they wouldn't have been – yeah, they wouldn't have been west of Oklahoma then. But uh, the game that – or one of the games that I'm looking forward to very is Hartford Athletic against Miami FC, I believe, with – uh, the Atlantic division right now, there is a bit of a gap between the top four and the bottom four at the moment. But if Hartford are able to win this game, it could completely basically you know, shut the bottom four out of a playoff spot and can really much just set who the top four are. But if Miami is able to win this game, it could very well vault them into the top spot in the division pending results elsewhere. 
Yeah, Hartford has multiple games in hand on everyone in front of them. Uh, so if they can uh, if they can get a victory here against a pretty hot the Miami FC, uh, they have they're definitely uh, saying, "Hey, Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh, we can still win this division for sure." Um, no and one, no. the Miami FC is one of just two teams in USO right now that have been unbeaten in their last five. But, uh, Alan, you're very familiar with the other team that's currently unbeaten in their last five as they're hosting Phoenix this weekend. Yeah, uh, San Diego hasn't lost since the month of uh, May, which is absolutely crazy. They lose four and then they go unbeaten in nine. Um, against a Phoenix team, uh, maybe not the most dominant on the road. I think they have uh, six goals for, six goals against, and kind of a, a 500 average on the road. Clearly a dominant team at home. Uh, Phoenix wants to beat the snot out of San Diego. San Diego wants to beat the snot out of Phoenix. Uh, so this should be a fun one. This should be, uh, I think, almost every game that they've played has had uh, four goals or more. Um except for uh, this most recent one. I think it was like 4-1 loss for San Diego, then a 2-2 draw, and then a 2-1 win for San Diego. So this is going to be... Goals will be scored. Uh, There will be probably a fair amount of yellow cards. Uh, This should should be a fun one for neutrals uh, because I I think that there is a large portion of people who want to see San Diego uh, lose their streak. Uh, but also a fair amount of people who want to see Phoenix lose. So uh, I'm definitely looking forward to this one. It should be a um, a pretty hotly contested match. Uh, Matt? Alan, the uh, the Pacific is kind of, you know, clearly kind of shaken down into a couple of tiers. Obviously, there's Phoenix at the top, and then you've got Orange County, and then San Diego, and then kind of a, a jumbling up of everybody else who's kind of figuring their stuff out and everything. How much of this game, given the run that the Loyal have been on, is, uh, you know, a barometer or an indication that, like, they've grown as a club to where they can really challenge? You know, is this a is this potentially a statement game in terms of it's not – Phoenix is in the VIP section and then San Diego and Orange County are in the club and then everybody else is in a line outside. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. Um, San Diego um, being unbeaten at home is another thing that they want to keep going. I know um, keeping that dominance. Uh, Phoenix has not yet won in San Diego without San Diego walking off the pitch. Um, so I, I know that there are... Uh, there's a lot of reasons why San Diego wants to establish themselves as saying we are a championships type club. That's kind of their mentality. Um, I'm always been, please just make the playoffs first and then we can worry about the rest of that later. Uh, but I know that the team really wants to to say that first four games is a fluke. Um, that's not who we are. And we're here to say we can beat the best in the West. And so I think that they're going to this game saying Phoenix is that, I want to say old money because they, I mean, they're, they're not, but they are kind of that old money. They're kind of the Louisville of the West that everyone wants to beat as far as that standard bearer. Um, and if you are anywhere in that Pacific conference and you want to establish yourself as kind of that new, that new money club, uh, San Diego definitely wants to do that. And the way you do that is you beat Phoenix at home. Yeah. I mean, Phoenix school differential is the same amount of points that San Diego has. Yes, um, although that that goal differential comes entirely from their home goal differential, which is crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, although let's not. But still, over- the, 
The only the only other team with a double digit positive goal differential is Louisville with 12. So, um, you know, certainly the the comparisons as the Louisville of the West are certainly well taken. Let's not overlook the Las Vegas Lights who have twice as many losses as they do wins and a double digit goal differential, negative goal differential, I must say. And they're in a playoff spot. Let's go for Team Chaos in the playoffs this year. Yeah, they have rediscovered that. That's why I was like, Las Vegas was always that chaotic team, and then they kind of weren't, and now they are again, which is nice. Um, they definitely throw a wrench into it. I think Los Dos taking a step back is really hurt them. Uh, and then Sacramento has won their first game in a really long time. So uh, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of chaos to come in that Pacific division for the, you know, kind of that bottom half of the playoff spots. In the um, D&D alignment charts, where would Las Vegas lights fall? <laughs> would they be a chaotic neutral or a chaotic good? They're chaotic stupid. <laughs> well, that's not in the charts. I'm, uh, <laughs> should we add a fourth category? <laughs> yeah, they're uh, whatever whatever alignment the uh, Gator Loki variant is. They are that Las Vegas Lights are the Gator Loki variant of the USL Marvel verse. I'll go Very with chaotic nice. good. Very nice. Um, I'll say chaotic neutral to officially answer the question. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. Uh, so we have uh, we had a, a pretty fun week in the USL last week. I think we're uh, got another fun week coming up here this weekend uh, with some pretty fun and interesting matchups uh, that this early in the season can really establish some teams with playoff footing. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this weekend. Um, I want to thank uh, our our guest Matt Pollard from Last Word on Soccer and Holding the High Line. Where can we find you and those things on the interwebs? Yeah, so hit me up on Twitter at LWS Matt Pollard. All of my writing can be found at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer. And if you want to hear audio content from me and our Pittsburgh brethren, um, now uh, Rabbi Mark Goodman, talking mostly Rapids, but certainly with one eye on the switchbacks and generally Colorado soccer. So definitely we'll be looking forward to Hailstorm FC in the future. Um, Wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this right now, just search Holding the High Line will be the first thing that comes up. And then you could also get at the podcast on twitter at rapids 96 podcast nice lots of good content uh ryan where can we find you on the interwebs you can find me on twitter at ilm underscore ryan very nice you can find me at a underwood 48 on the twitter machines uh you can follow the show at the usl show on twitter and uh you can Subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash the USL show. I know that there's some more video content being produced. Um, there's a USL tactics show uh, that gets put out on the Twitter machines as well, which is phenomenal content. If you're not following that, please get on that as soon as possible. Uh, and so for Ryan, for Matt, for the rest of the team, uh, the USL show, thank you for listening. And we will uh, talk to you guys soon. Ted Lasso's back. Ted Lasso's back.